You're listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May you be challenged and encouraged by this message. Having the affections of your heart stirred towards greater love and understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami. If you guys have your Bibles this morning, it's good to be with you. Uh, You can turn to Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at the last section here, really the closing section of Colossians. As you know, we've been going through a friendship series, and we are towards the end of this series. This morning, we're going to be looking at Paul's noteworthy Friends, from Colossians chapter 4, and the closing section, uh, verses 7 to 18. Well, Chap Betis, author of The Disciple-Making Parent, uh, wrote about a very fascinating study that was held at Yale in 1951. And there was a Dr. Solomon Ash who had... Uh, wanted to conduct a study with students, so he selected five and had them come forward, and the assignment was pretty obvious. They were to um, answer questions one after another. Each person could hear what the other one had to say, and the, it was quite simple. The test was there was a, a chart given with a line on the right, a vertical line on the right, and a vertical line on the left. There were a few lines on the left, but only one on the right. The question was, what line on the right matches the line on the left? Very simple study, and the answer would be obvious. Everyone would know what the answer was, should know. The first three times they did this, everyone got it correct. But the fourth time, something strange happened. Someone got it wrong. And then the next person got it wrong. In fact, they all got it wrong. And the the test would go on. The question was, why? Why did it go wrong? And they had multiple sets of five that they brought in to go through this, this test. And when asked, why did you get it wrong? Some said, I don't know. I just thought, I thought there's something that I'm missing. And I just doubted myself. So I guessed incorrectly. Um, Others said, no, I know the answer is obvious. I didn't want to be the only one to give a different answer. So I chose what was wrong because of peer pressure. What was interesting was the study was held. There was five students. Four of them are actually just accomplices with the Dr. Ash who's doing the study. There's actually the only test subject is one student, and they don't know that. And it is a study on peer pressure, the power of peer pressure. What was fascinating and what they did find was all it took was one. One person, that if one person would stand up for the right answer, the test subject would always get it right. They would always say what the obvious answer was. And it was just to show that peer pressure is powerful. And yet all it takes is one. 
This morning, as we're looking at this friendship series, I want you to keep in mind that one of the greatest influencers in your life will be your friends who you choose to surround yourself with. And what is amazing about this study is all it takes is one good friend to make all the difference. It's been said that choosing your friends is like choosing your future. It should make us think long and hard about who we choose to be our friends. Jap Betis writes, we choose them and they change us. And that's why this morning I want us to look at the noteworthy friends of Paul. What does he say about them? What should stand out to us about these men? One thing I want you to know from the outset, each one of these men have been infused by the grace of God. Except for one. Possibly. We'll talk about that later. Just to review with you, a few uh, weeks ago, Chris Day taught on Genesis chapters 1 and 3. And as I've mentioned, this is a series on friendship. And this morning we're looking at what does noteworthy friendship look like. But Chris Jude taught very well on Genesis chapter 3, the first three chapters really, explaining why our relationships today are so messed up. He talked about how relationships have been damaged by sin. And it's so true. Sin separates us from one another. Not only that, but sin separated Adam and Eve from God and so on and so forth for all of us. Sin separates us from God. And I won't be able to recap all that was in there, but one of the key components to this series is understanding if you're not, if you've not had a restored relationship with God, your other friendships will lack. Because there is a key relationship to your creator who you are made in his image and you are to reflect to others. If you haven't heard this sermon, I'd encourage you to go back and to listen to it. Last week, Ronald Perez taught from Hebrews chapter 10. Did an excellent job as well. And his three points, I love them. It was friendship takes work. Friendship requires presence. And he talked about the fact that friendship has a purpose. And my favorite line was that friendship is like fresh bread. I was like, oh yeah, you're speaking my language. Uh, I started thinking about bread at this point. And, uh, but there is a sense, right? Friends, like they just have a nice aroma about them and just they can change the whole room. One good friend. All of a sudden, you don't feel alone anymore. There's someone who knows your soul. There's someone who's carried your burdens. There's someone who's laughed with you, who's lived life with you, who's shared life with you, who's told you perhaps even hard things. And they energize you. This morning, as we look at Colossians 4, notice what Paul says about them. What does he say about his friends? He did not need to elaborate on them in the way that he did. But I believe he did that for a purpose, that we might imitate them, that we might think long and hard about our friendships, about how we are a friend. More than anything this morning, I don't want you to examine your other friends. I want you to examine you and how you are a friend. Would any of the things that are said about Paul's friends be said of you? 
So let's look at Colossians 4 together, and we'll work our way through this text. But I want to read it in its entirety, all the way down to verse 18. So, verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. There's a weightiness to the end of this letter when Paul says, remember my chains. Remember where I am. Let that picture sink in. I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel. I wanted to make Jesus Christ known among the nations. I wanted people to know that Jesus saves sinners. And Paul would say, I'm, of the, I'm the foremost. And he labored hard for the sake of the gospel. But there are men here with him who also have been labored and have been with him. And he wants us to remember them as well. He wants us to imitate them. I love how it ends with grace be with you because Paul often just starts and ends with grace. So appropriate. That we would remind ourselves of the divine favor God has had on us sinners. We did not deserve the grace of God on the cross, but Christ died for us. And because of that, there is grace lavished upon the believer who can be made right with God, restored in a right relationship with Him. Wonderful thing here. These are Paul's noteworthy friends. We want to pay attention to this. We want to imitate their example. And so much as they imitate Christ. All right, let's look at verse 7 and 8 and just sort of examine that. We're going to talk about Tychicus. Um, I don't know of anyone named Tychicus, but based on this description, I feel like we should start naming our children Tychicus. But I haven't heard anyone do it. Just throwing it out there. But I love this guy. What's he say about him? He'll tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. 
What more could be said? I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that, he may, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. A lot's being said of this man, Tychicus. He was a trustworthy fellow slave, a fellow servant. He gave his all to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's from the province of Asia. His very name means fortunate. He spent time with the Apostle Paul. I think he's very fortunate <laughs> to have been discipled deliberately by the Apostle Paul, to have done ministry with him. He cited five times in the New Testament. He was a close, dear friend of Paul, one of three mentioned here as a beloved brother. Not everyone was given that title, but he was. He's a beloved brother. Notice how he's described as a fellow servant. Maybe your translation says bond servant or slave. He's a fellow servant of Christ. I think this is significant because in no way does Paul elevate himself above his friends. He never elevates himself above his friends. They are equals in the sight of God and with each other. His friends are on the same plane because of the grace of God in their life. And as he labors, though Paul had authority over them, though Paul was their leader, he did not exercise any sort of or elevate himself in any way above them. But they are equals. They serve side by side for the sake of the gospel. He was entrusted with the task of traveling and delivering the message of Colossians, this letter, this precious text of our New Testament. You don't hand that to just anyone. But he delivered it. He also delivered, uh, likely, the book of Philemon and the uh, book of Ephesians. This is a man who was entrusted with something that would have been difficult and dangerous. Traveling, it wasn't like he could just you know, hop on southwest and be there. This would take a lot of time. This would take effort. This would also potentially threaten his life. Tychicus waited for Paul at Troas towards the end of his third missionary journey. This man was trustworthy. He was given the divine word of God and entrusted with the task of taking this to the church. And notice he's the one tasked to update the church on how Paul's doing. And not only that, but he's given the task to encourage their hearts. You think about it for yourself. If you're going through a difficult time or a trial or suffering, you hear the words that you have cancer. Who do you want by your side? And the text is saying, Tychicus was one of those people who you wanted by your side. Tychicus was one of those people that when you spent time with, you left saying, I want to love Christ more. I want to live my life for Jesus Christ after you spent time with Tychicus because of how Tychicus imitated Christ-likeness, the way he loved people, the way he invested in them. He is entrusted with not just any task, a big task. This man is honored. His name would be recorded in the Word of God as a faithful man, a faithful minister, to be in the Word of God that we would read for all time. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to glorify Tychicus' name, but Christ in him that's being displayed. This is the grace of God in his life, that he would be faithful, that he would be trustworthy, that he would be dependable and loyal and steadfast. 
These are qualities that we desire to have in a friend. But they, they require effort from us. Would this be said of us? That we are a trustworthy friend. That we're dependable. That we complete the things we commit to for each other. Trust takes time to gain. But it's easily lost. Tychicus had the trust of Paul. Let's look at Onesimus. Once a runaway slave and now an obedient slave. There's a sense with him as we see him in the text. It says, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you, will tell you everything that has taken place here. In order for us to fully understand all that's going on here, it would be wise for us to turn to the book of Philemon. We won't go here for long, but I want you to see in the book of Philemon, and if you're not sure where Philemon is, it's right before the book of Hebrews, towards the end of your Bible. And it's likely one page, so it's very easy to miss. But he's, there's a whole letter here written to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. He's called a faithful and beloved brother. This man is also spoken well of. He's also a man in, in whom we'll give uh, and explain some of how Paul's doing in the ministry that's taking place. And we need to understand Paul's in prison. But Paul's writing. Some of our New Testament that we have in our hand was written while he was in prison and we're benefiting from today. As we think of Onesimus here, look at verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, who father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed is useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. He's, he's like his child. Someone who's come to faith. There's a sense with Onesimus, he has come to faith. He is a new creature in Christ. He's no longer a disobedient, useless slave, but he is useful for the kingdom of God. In every sense, he is useful. And as you look at the book of Philemon, we, we can't unpackage all that's here, but all that's here needs to go to bear on his name as you read it in order to fully understand it in its context. But that would be a sermon in itself that I can't give this morning. But what you need to take away from Onesimus is that he was obedient. He was known for his obedience. He was known as being a faithful and beloved brother. He is one who has come to faith in Christ. He's a man who is a faithful man of God and a beloved brother of the Apostle Paul. And he's obedient. This is key. Obedience. Not much of a friendship can exist without obedience. This is not just for children. This is for adults. We need to be able to do things for each other happily of our own accord. We need to be faithful, loyal, dependable. Note some of these words are being mentioned repeatedly and we'll continue as we go through the list. 
Now let's move on. Aristarchus. Love this. There's a lot of fun names here. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. I could understand if your name was Jesus, you would like to be called something else. Uh, because the last person who is named Jesus, would not be, you would not be able to live up to that person. And here's Justice. He's called Justice. These men are unique. There's this line about them as Jews. Noticing what's cool about this is that Jews and Gentiles were laboring side by side with Paul. This is special. This is unique. This is something that the world marvels at. How two people who were so opposed to each other could labor side by side. Two people who were so different from one another had different cultures and backgrounds ways of thinking, and yet could labor side by side for the sake of the gospel. It's happening. This would have excited the church. These three men gave aid to Paul and his ministry. They were an encouragement to Paul. Aristarchus, what does it say about him? But that he was a fellow prisoner. So what I want us to come away with here is that he accompanied Paul through his adversities. Through much of the difficult times, he was there. Countless times in Acts chapter 19, 20, 27, he traveled with Paul. He was with him side by side, even when Paul was in prison. Whether this means that he was in prison with him, or if Paul was in prison and he would come and he would be with him during his time, where Paul would be there and he was not. Either way, this man knew how to be present even when his friends were faced with persecution. Would that be said of you? It's easy, right, to be a friend during the good times. It's hard to be a friend when people start going through hard times. And maybe we don't have all the answers for them. Aristarchus stayed with him. Not because of who he was, but because of Christ in him. The hope in him. And the hope he could have and he knew Paul had. So we have Tychicus, a trustworthy friend. Onesimus was an obedient friend. Aristarchus was present with Paul, even when Paul faced persecution. Then we come to Mark. Now Mark, he made a marvelous turnaround. This man traveled with Paul and Barnabas on, his first, on the first journey, but then abandoned them. So Mark was with them doing ministry, and then he left. And then what happens is you have Paul and you have Barnabas and the next journey comes along and they're like, Paul's like, uh-uh, I'm not taking Mark. No way. This guy's flaky. He's not coming with me. Whatever it was, there was a significant disagreement between Paul and Barnabas and Paul ended up, or Mark ended up going with Barnabas and not with Paul. Now, this is what's cool. God used that divinely to advance the kingdom in separate places as these people had to split up. But yet, at the end, Mark and Paul were peacemakers with one another. Their conflict was resolved. What we see in 2 Timothy 4.11, you could just jot that reference down, but he, he writes there, he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. Get Mark. And bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. 
And it's here in Colossians that we see Mark is useful for him for ministry. So the disagreement that they had, they worked through it. They worked through that. They worked through the conflict. Some say Mark's a man who is granted a second chance with a remarkable turnaround that Mark's failure, the Lord and his sovereignty used to further his kingdom. And he's the author of the gospel of Mark. He did much ministry that we can learn from. He was a peacemaker. Next, we have justice. He was just an average Joe, but Paul considered him a fellow worker. It was said of these three men that they were an encouragement to Paul. He was a comforter, this justice. Justice knew the right time, the right place, and in the right way. And that's priceless to be a comfort to Paul, to be an encouragement to him. We could use more people like Justice, like Aristarchus, like Mark, who are encouragers. I heard someone once say that most of the teaching we do could be said through encouragement, at least 80%. (laughs) Very rarely do we need to encourage someone or correct someone by lecturing them, but we can... We can actually teach them through encouragement. We can correct through encouragement. We can comfort people even as we rebuke them with encouragement. It's a good thing. Now let's look at Epaphras. I love Epaphras. What does it say of him? He says he's one of you, part of the 305, right? I was hoping for a little more than that. Okay. At least I've got your attention, okay? He's one of you. This is their pastor, the Colossians. Likely their pastor, if not at least their founder. He's the one that told Paul all about them. If you go back to Colossians chapter 1, it said they learned this from Epaphras. Verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. He is one of you. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. You have that word doulos again. That's only said of Tychicus, of Epaphras, and of Paul. These douloses, these servants of Christ, these people who knew Christ was everything. He's supreme, and I live my life for him. I want him to have everything. That was true of Epaphras. He greets you. Then it says, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. I love this part. Because I, in my few months here, one of my favorite things about being at this church has been hearing your elders pray for you. They pray hard for you. They agonize. They strive. They fight with their prayers for you. What else is neat is that on the church app, I see you guys doing the same thing for one another. This is a wonderful church where you guys strive for one another in your prayers for each other. That was true of Epaphras. It says always, not sometimes, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Why? That you may stand mature. 
fully assured in all the will of God, that you might stand mature and fully assured in the gospel, that you might stand fully assured that you have everything you need for life and godliness, that you might grow in maturity in Christ. This is why we pray. This is why we labor. That when we see the lion and the lamb, when we see our Messiah, our Christ, the one who's conquered everything, we might stand fully mature and complete before him. And we've labored for one another that as we meet him face to face, we can say we've labored hard for one another that when we meet our God and Savior, we make much of him and what he has done in our lives. Not because of us, but because of him and what he's accomplished in our lives. But prayer is one of those things. What is a friend who doesn't pray? As we look at this list, this might very well be the most important. Let's not miss it. I think it's good for us to review these men. And remember, none of this is possible apart from the grace of God. Tychicus was a trustworthy friend. Let's review. Onesimus was an obedient friend. Aristarchus, a present friend. Mark was a friend who resolved conflict. He was a peacemaker. And Justice was a comforting friend. Epaphras was a praying friend. Then we come to Luke. Gotta love Luke. Luke is a loyal friend and a loving physician. Why would I add that he's a loving physician? In order for us to appreciate this, we need to understand the Apostle Paul and how much Paul needed a physician. So I want us just for fun, because we need to do this, is go to 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four and ask the question, does Paul need a physician? Let's do this. Does Paul need a physician? Let's see. There's a part where he's addressing the Corinthians and he boasts. He brags about his weakness, that he can make much of Christ. It's like, okay, we're going to do this. Let's do this. But if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm going to boast in the things that show my weakness and my need for my Savior. And it's in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24, he begins. He says, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day and adrift at sea. On frequent journeys. And danger from river. Danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure, and apart from, apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and am I not weak? And I love verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. Paul needed Luke. (laughs) He needed a loving physician. 
someone with good bedside manner, but someone who was a loyal friend. And he had one. He had one in Luke. Not everyone, though, is loyal. Let's talk about Demas. Demas doesn't last, but he directed his love towards the things of this world. That is not stated here, but that is stated in Timothy. Sadly, this man is noted towards the end of Paul's writings as having a love for the things of this world. So rather than staying in ministry, he deserted Paul. It is interesting for some of us who say, I really want friends. I I think it is helpful for us to know, as a friend once told me, that friends are on loan by God for a given of time, and they're a gift of grace. We are not promised that we get to keep any one friend for any length or period of time. And there are some of you here today who are grieving the loss of your friends. And I am truly sorry. Friends don't always last. Sometimes because they pass away, others because they drift towards affections, towards other things that we cannot go with. And that was true of Demas. We also have to remember this was true of Jesus, who Judas betrayed Jesus. And Jesus had 12 disciples, three of them in particular, were sort of in that special crowd with him. They got to see the transfiguration. They were privileged friends. And there was only one friend, John, that it was said in whom Jesus loved. He was a special friend. But I would encourage you in your friendships, labor in being a friend. Labor in being a good friend to others. And as friends come along in your life, And as at times you say goodbye to some, remember that they were gifts of grace that you didn't deserve. And give thanks and praise God. As we look at this list, these are men who are infused with the grace of God. And I want to close by reading a poem. This poem, I think, is one that you are probably quite familiar with. But it does highlight something for us. It's entitled, The Touch of the Master's Hand. And each one of these men have been touched by the Master's hand. They have been touched by the grace of God. Apart from the grace of God, I would submit to you, they could not be this kind of friend. Let's read this poem together. This is The Touch of the Master's Hand was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it's scarcely worth its while to waste much time on the old violin, but held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks, he cried, who will start the bidding for me? A dollar? A dollar? Then two? Only two. Two dollars, and who will make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice. Going for three, but no, From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow, then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening and loosening the strings. He played a melody, pure and sweet, as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What am I bid? 
for the old violin, and he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, and who will make it two? Two thousand, and who will make it three? Three thousand, once, three thousand, twice, and going and gone, he said. The people cheered, but some of them cried. We don't quite understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once and going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. We've looked this morning at these men who are who they are because they have been touched by the grace of God. And my point to you is not to commend you to be like them, but to be like them in that they imitate Christ, our Savior. I think in the room like this, perhaps you're here this morning, and this is your first time in church in a long time. Others of you are here, and you've grown up in the church. Others of you perhaps grew up in a Christian home, but the gospel is never talked about that Jesus saves sinners. I think whatever the case may be, I would encourage you to evaluate friendships. But understand this, without the grace of God, without that, you cannot be the friend that you ought to be. The only way you will be who you are supposed to be is if you repent of your sins and trust in Christ. We first have to deal with the sin that's in our hearts. We need to recognize sin separates. Some of you may not see that at first glance, but I'm sure we could all have examples of how sin has separated people we know. And there's probably varying experiences in this room. Some here have had friends do terrible things. Some of you have been betrayed by your friends. Some of you have had wonderful friends in your life. Others of you feel alone. I would encourage you first to go to the Lord. First come to Him. The one who wants to be your friend but you must repent and trust in Christ. And I would encourage you, if you're here this morning, and perhaps maybe you're like Mark, and there's conflict in your relationships. Maybe you need to go to that person. Maybe you need to think about who needs to be, who you need to go to and actually reconcile that relationship. Maybe you need to come to them and repent of sin yourself that you've committed against them and asked for their forgiveness. The reason that friendships can be beautiful amongst the Christian community is because we are those who've been forgiven by God and have had His grace 
lavished upon us. And that is why we can forgive one another and have the rich relationships that we have. There's no secret there. There is sin in our lives. And until Christ comes again and sin is removed, sin will continue to affect our relationships. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came and that we can repent of our sins and we can seek forgiveness. And our greatest need is forgiveness. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May God draw you nearer to Him through His Word. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami.